0: Everybody. welcome back to another episode of Study with Steph, where I am trying to get my CTS certification, but that's very hard. So I made a podcast to help me study, and each episode I bring on a professional to help me dive into the topics I'm having a little bit of trouble on. Um, so this time we're talking about gathering customer information, and I've brought on with me Jeremy Caldera, who is the Senior Vice President of Pearl Technology. Welcome.
1: Hello, glad to be here.
0: So first of all, I just wanted to briefly discuss that there are a few rules they say you should go by when you just communicate with clients in general. So I figured we could go through those kind of quickly because I feel like a lot of that is common sense. (laughs) Like, like I, I was saying to you before we started recording, like maybe don't just call a client out of nowhere and be like, Hey, what up? what kind of av stuff do you want
1: (laughs) what put their place unannounced in a world of covid
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: like restrictions are at that company
0: right yeah Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah yeah. so
0: i guess like the early stages you obviously you obviously have to get their information to contact them in the first place and in the book it's talking about like landlines and stuff and i'm like i don't really feel like i'm gonna call somebody's landline these no, days. It's, just,
1: it's <laughs> just saying be professional, right? Like right. dress the part, dress for your day, know what you're doing, know who you're communicating with, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, its you know, know their email, know their phone number, record that stuff, right? And I mean, yeah. just for me as an integrator, it's important that my sales team captures that information just for the simple thing of updating our CRM, right? If yeah. we're internally, we just need to keep record of all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, whose account is what? Who's the lead people? Who's the president? Who's the every day to day guy that you might be talking to? And it's not necessarily reach out to them. You could be if you're cold calling, but they may be reaching out to you as well, right? And so it's be professional. Set the meeting, um, and and again, don't just show up. Don't just don't just blind you know blindside anybody, right? right. Set the right meeting, whatever that tone is, virtual, in person, whatever.
0: And uh, it talks about dressing professionally too, which. And that's kind of even more important than it used to be, right? Because instead of just having phone conversations, a lot of conversations are being had over Zoom uh, to figure a lot of this stuff out. So like looking professional, if you show up on the initial client call, you know, in your pajamas, it's probably not going to send the, uh, the best. I, I make, like
1: When we sell a job, I even make my technicians wear collared shirts at the bare minimum, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're not really allowed to go out in jeans and t-shirts. They've got slacks and, and collared shirts and there's some rare instances where where they can kind of break the quote unquote dress code. It's kind of an unspoken dress code, but but we try to stay professional across the board. And it's not just dressing professional. Sometimes you got to be aware of the environment that you're going into, right? So you could be going onto a factory floor, in which case you need steel toe shoes and like um, whatever else might, you know, high visibility vest or, you know, whatever may go with that, right? And I mean, that's kind of the more specialized type of thing. But again, Mm -hmm. that communication with the client to figure out uh, where you're meeting and how you're meeting and what's the important dress for said meeting would would be good. And usually they'll tell you that if you're coming to a job site to do uh, an initial meeting or a survey of some kind, they might say, Hey, you're going to need steel toe boots, you know, or something like that.
0: Um, And it talks early on in the chapter about like, there, there will be conflicts like in any industry particularly ours there will be conflicts with clients and it talks about a few professional ways to handle those could you just kind of run me through a few a few ways to go ahead and like diffuse a situation if you can tell a client is getting upset with you or if something isn't going as planned
1: I try my best but I kind of have a short fuse so I'm the wrong person to ask this for this question <laughs> to, but no but what I what I like to do is reiterate the question or 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 you know, ask a question of, to, you know, back to the client, you know, yeah. try to set everybody on an even playing field. What is, let's get an even understanding of to what the problem is at hand or what the conflict is and, you know, a, a address it by asking more questions because sometimes, sometimes it'll frustrate some people, everybody's different, right? But other times they'll appreciate that you're just trying to get a full grasp and understanding as to what's going on. So I find that sometimes that's, that's really an easy way to, to diffuse things is just by everybody take a breath let's circulate let's get back and and i'm more of a zoom call i'm more of a team's call even a phone call if you can't be in person right because the worst thing you could possibly do to try and diffuse any kind of conflict is is an email right Mm -hmm. i think email not only is unprofessional when you're in that in that type of conflict or in that type of conversation but on top of that uh tone is very easily mistaken in email yep um so i mean very easily mistaken you know I, I can't tell you how many times that i've sent a text message or an email and people completely misinterpreted what i was trying to say and so that's the last thing you absolutely want to do now i always recommend that no matter what phone conversation in-person conversation you have you follow it up with an email and i'll always tell right. everybody okay i want to make sure we're on the same page i'm going to follow up with an email just so we kind of have it down in writing if i miss anything let me know right you've set the tone for said email. So it's really kind of hard to to misconstrue that. So,
0: Oh yeah, for sure. So in the initial few figuring things out, like meetings, well, there's usually like at least a few that are just you set to figure out what the client needs, right? Mm -hmm. So in that you're not necessarily talking about specific technology yet. You're talking about okay, here are the pain points that end users have. Here's what they need something to do, correct? Yeah, so
1: I, I think that one of the worst things anyone can do in sales or as a designer can walk into any facility. And I'm guilty of this too. You immediately start looking around before you even talk to the client and you start saying, oh, you know, I, I could put a projector here and a flat panel here and I need this many speakers here, right? You need to get that out of your head because you're, you're there to solve a problem and you have to figure out what the problem is first, right? And what, what is it that they want to do or what, what do they want to achieve? What's, what's, you know, what, what's the end result that they're looking for, right? And then from there, you can kind of take that and you step it back and say, okay, what's the correct technology? What will the customer be comfortable with and be very user-friendly and whatever we want to do depending on the need? And then, and then we kind of approach the the design from, from that perspective, right? So, the, you know, don't go in with the technology in mind. And sometimes even the client's guilty of that, right? Well, they'll be like, hey, I want a 4K TV up on here because that's the latest and greatest. And you have to kind of yeah. dial it back and figure out a way to explain to them, you know, you can get a 4K TV, but odds are you're going to run it 1920 by 1080 or you're going to, you know, use a different resolution because you're not looking at anything in specific detail and your viewer is too yeah. far away. And there's all these things that come up when you're doing that initial site survey that would mean, you know, don't go in with technology first. Right.
0: Oh yeah. And then of course, like, is your content in 4k? Cause like there ain't right. no use in having a 4k TV if the, but, you what know, you want to throw up there.
1: 4K, I, I still tell my corporate clients, you don't want 4k, right? Unless you're yeah. doing some yeah. kind of inspection detail of CAD or blueprints or, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff, 4k, it's hard to read when you're four feet in front of it, let alone, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 feet back at a boardroom table. So.
0: Right. Exactly. So from these few initial meetings, you develop like an AV design document, right? Or at least you should.
1: Correct. Yes. So Uh,
0: in, in that, that'll be just kind of like, okay, here is what a few of the pain points are, here are the systems we think that they're gonna need and like, we're gonna kind of loosely string together like what a budget should be, right?
1: Yeah, so typically I like to, I like to put together what we call an executive summary, right? There's in, in our proposals, at least on our end, there, there's two kind of documents within the proposal, if you will, right? And a lot of times, I mean, you'll go back and forth for a long time, depending on the size of the project, but if it's a smaller project, you might only have one, one or two meetings before you actually devise all of this information and put it together. I mean, every company is different. Every kind of client need is different. But in our world, where I, what I'm dealing with is I like to always have an executive summary and what we call a functional narrative, right? So I look at the executive summary as that 10,000-foot that view, right? Let's back it up. We are looking to put in a conference room to do video conferencing and presentation of sales spreadsheets, whatever, okay? That's it. One, two sentences in that case, the functional narrative, which would be the next kind of section of the proposal will say, you were going to have an 86 inch 4k display mounted 60 inches above the floor on the east wall with an HDMI input here and a camera here and speakers here and, you know, get very, very, very specific and very, very, very detailed, right. And then of course, you put your price in and, and again, in our proposal would be an exact price. But if it's a bigger project in your planning stages, it could be a budget number, right. Um, and what that allows the person you're dealing with to do is to take the 10,000 foot view executive summary and the price page and hand that to their boss because their boss just wants to know how much is it going to cost and what's it going to do, right? The tech guy wants to know the details, right? So that's why I kind of like to include it all. But again, larger project, you might just be doing general scopes and saying, hey, this is going to be about $10,000. I want to set expectations correctly. There's been a number of of times I've gone to places like a church, for example, like, okay, I want you to understand what you're asking for is at least $50,000. What's your budget? Oh, it's five okay, let's take a step back, right? Yeah. <laughs> because obviously we're on two different pages here. So. Right.
0: That makes sense. So is that when you then conduct a sort of like needs analysis? Like when does that occur? And like what all does that entail?
1: Well, uh, lately we've been doing a lot of needs analysis over Zoom, which is not the ideal thing to do. But right. uh, we can do that. A lot of times I can quote design systems, basic systems, with a couple of photographs and some, and some measurements, right? But on the most basic of levels from a needs analysis it's it's what's the problem that they're trying to solve and what are they trying to do right secondarily to that is the important information to a designer how big is the room how tall is the ceiling right where you know what is the table configuration is it a multi-purpose room where the tables change and the chairs change is it a fixed boardroom seating is it a performing arts center right And we kind of got to get all of those measurements. And depending on how complex it gets, it's the more information you need in that needs analysis, right? Performing Arts Center, you might need to do acoustical measurements or audio measurements. If it's a projection system, you may have to do light measurements to make sure you're getting the right amount of projector for that space, right? Are there a lot of windows? Let's get some photographs because do the windows have shades? Are they tinted? Are they gonna cause glare? Um, Is it gonna cause echo problems? Sometimes being in the room and just simply hearing that, oh, there's a bathroom next door and you can hear the toilet flush every time, right? Mm-hmm. You're on a conference call. You might need some acoustical treatment or some sound deadening. And, and there's all kinds of stuff that can come from that needs analysis. But that is the most important part of, of every kind of beginning initiation thing when you're talking about a system design, right? It's gathering up that crucial information of everything from sound of the room to what's the problem I'm trying to solve.
0: Gotcha. And the book talks about like the needs analysis pyramid. Um, so where exactly does that fit in? Or is that just like one way of thinking of it and trying to solve what that is? Well,
1: you're, you're blindsiding me with that one. Cause I don't remember what the needs analysis pyramid oh, looks I, like. I, offhand, I got it right here. I can
0: it. show <laughs> it to you.
1: So I would say that, you know, that's, that's definitely true, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got the functions and the form of the room, which is, which are important, but then you've got that very basic high level stuff. And that's exactly what I was talking to you about, right? Is, is we need to go from the high level down to that functional narrative. And that's why when we ultimately turn over a proposal or when you're working with your client, um, you want to kind of have all that information together, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, there, there is some truth to that pyramid, but everybody kind of approaches that just a little differently, a little differently. and it's not just because my company is different than the next company. It's really every client is different. Every need of the client is different. The different types of people that you're going to have to communicate with at the client's organization is completely different. So adjusting, knowing that you still need all of that information is what's key.
0: OK, so then once you've like kind of started to conduct this and you've started kind of figuring out like, OK, here's what's going on in this room. And here's the AV applications that are like required to support these activities. Now we have to figure out like the specific tasks that all these AV things are going to handle, right? So then where does that fit in with, is that just like kind of like a next step that you take? Like, okay, yeah, we need a screen in here, but what's that screen going to do? Here's what we need to do next.
1: Yeah. I, from a design perspective, you start getting into, into a lot of the, the, form and function of, of, of what the system needs to do to operate right and that, and that should be in your functional narrative that you're going to write the little bit more detailed, mm-hmm. not executive summary right that okay. when, when you do this X, y and Z will happen right what's what's, the, what's the, the, the matrix that happens there right if you do this then what happens right if you' mm-hmm. if you're making a conference call, do we need to have controls of the camera right That might have to be in the description as well where you can control it from here. Do they want to use their iPhone versus a a touch panel, right? And just kind of understanding those individual and specific needs of how they will each interact and tie in with each other. Again, Mm -hmm. don't don't need to be in that executive summary, that big picture, but they do need to be in the specific details that outline that functional narrative and the form and function of the actual system.
0: Okay. Um, And the next thing the book talks about is benchmarking as like, Mm -hmm. that's a big thing that you need to do next. So can you explain to me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I get, a, I get a lot of clients that, that sometimes it gets really hard when you're dealing with like super specialized stuff, right? The idea of benchmarking is, for example, I'll give you the most basic one. I go okay. into a church, okay? In a church, they've got some acoustical problems. They need a new speaker system. They got a praise band. They need us to design a new sound system for them and maybe put in some video screens, right? The easiest thing for me to do is say, hey, there's a very similar church to yours over here let's go over there and take a look. I'll call pastor X, Y, and Z, and we'll go over there and we'll look at this church. And then we'll look at this other church and you kind of see how they're using it and what the end result is that we've recently achieved. Right. So it, it serves two purposes. One, it sets client expectations. And then it also helps close the deal for the sales team. Right. When you can actually go and see, you know, what an end result type of a system is now, granted, that's the ultimate goal. You want to close the deal, but at the same time, you need to be a very functional system that people know how to use people are happy with uh, and benchmarking that helps set all of that right not just from a technical perspective of what said projector looks like in a similar space or what said speakers sound like in a similar space. Um, it, it, it does more than that it you know it, it helps with the sales team as well now that gets more difficult when you're looking at. Um, a giant performing arts center, right? There's only so many performing arts centers in an area and there's a lot of companies out there that do them, right? So yeah, the last one I might have done might have been five years ago, right? And the technology is way different. So, yeah, you know, seeing the quality of work we might do is one thing, but seeing how the electronics perform within a space is completely something different.
0: Um, This next portion I wanted to particularly talk about because during COVID, I'm sure this is a lot more difficult, but obtaining information about constraints about a space if a lot of times you're just looking at it through zoom and you're just getting a few measurements like you're not going to know all of the constraints that a space has like you're not necessarily going to know how bad it echoes or you're not going to know that once you show up with all your equipment you're ready to install there ain't no parking lot so like how do you work in that to try to kind of work with a client and get them to tell you like everything they know about constraints, like at the beginning of a project?
1: Well, it's difficult for sure, but we can, we can do it. It's just, okay. it's just, like you said, there's gonna always be some unknowns. There's always an unknown when you get there, but you know what, to be honest with you, even when we go and get to do these site walkthroughs, we run into unknowns, right? It's just, it's bound to happen. The key is is to make sure that the sales team and the designers that are, that are going to do these site surveys and these needs analysis, I mean, if they're experienced, they're gonna know what to ask for, what to look for. We're getting pretty clever nowadays um saying okay we've got a known good computer on your end and my end take it into the space and let me actually hear it in the space with you talking there and i can kind of start to hear a little bit about what the room's doing obviously it's not ideal but sometimes you you get what you get right so um we're getting more and more clever on how to do that um i would argue that 75 percent of the information that you need you can do remote and then there's that little bit of last you know quirky stuff that just kind of comes with experience that you take a best guess on when you're stuck in a situation like that Um, and just do your best.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I think these, this is all really helpful just because I've never gotten to sit on any of these meetings. I don't know how to do a site walkthrough. Um, I think those were pretty much all the questions I had prepared, but if there's any other like advice or like nuances that you feel like will help me just to know in the long run, um, Go ahead, let me know.
1: Yeah, I would say that, you you know, they refer to the, you know, at least in the book, they refer to it as the programming phase, right? Which a lot of people mistakenly refer to as programming of Crestron or AMX or Extron or something like that, right? Which is not the case, right? So yeah. there's, on a construction site, for example, versus a design build project, which companies like mine prefer, Um When you're doing those site surveys and you're doing those needs analysis sometimes you're working hand in hand with a lot of other general trades and construction people right so you could be working with a general contractor electrical contractor you got to deal with hvac and plumbing people because they're putting pipes where you might want to put speakers and and being able to coordinate and talk to a lot of those types of trades it's very important as well. And that becomes much more important the earlier you go in the planning stages of all this, especially when you're in that quote unquote program phase, right, and you're setting what the expectations of the system are, but yet you still want to communicate with the other building people that are just as important, right? And you always have to remember that, that some people have jurisdiction that's more important, right? Or some people can pull rank, you know, the fire alarm guy is not going to move his stuff for your speaker, right? Uh, the plumbing guy may or may not be able to move a pipe for you to put a microphone in right so uh being able to coordinate with those trades and, and talk with those individuals that's just as important as understanding what the functional needs of the system are that the end user ultimately is going for and they work hand in hand together so it's important to know that as well
0: okay for sure um and just generally um this is something i ask at the end of every podcast if i remember to but if you do you have any advice or things that i should spend a lot of time studying on as i continue studying for the exam?
1: As, as someone who as someone who has actually chaired both chaired the CTS program and helped write the exam and taught the prep classes over my past 10, 15 years, right? Like taught the three-day classes. The biggest thing that people complain to me about that I've heard over the years has been, I read the book and took the exam and not everything was in there, right? Well, the exam does not, sorry, the book does not give you all the information on the exam. The class does not teach to the exam. It teaches general knowledge that could prepare you for taking such things like the CTS. That's why right. it's a preparation class. It's not specific to that exam, to the specific questions on the exam. And that's not an Avixa thing. It's not it's it's more of an ANSI thing. It's kind of a requirement from the standardized testing form because that's just how it works. Like the, it's just kind of the rules when you want to be an ANSI accredited certification. And, and, and that was kind of always the defense that I felt like we were on, on the certification committee was getting people to understand that. And as an instructor to the three-day classes, you know, we're not, we're not teaching to the exam. We're kind of teaching based knowledge that's useful for the exam. And there's kind of a subtle difference there that, that many people don't understand. So I always say, you know, utilize the manufacturers because that's going to go well, you know, companies like daylight, they put out a fantastic, um, um, kind of white paper on uh, screen technologies, right? And, and, and viewing angles and, and that kind of stuff. Rely on the AVIXA standards, right? Because there might be stuff on um, um, contrast in projection. There's, there's other standards okay. that talk about um, furthest viewer, closest viewer, best viewing angles, that kind of stuff, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of math that goes behind that. and Some of that's yeah. geared towards the CTSD side of the house. But the general information on that is still there. And standards are hard to read. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not saying go out and read and understand every standard. Uh, But but that type of information is what's out there for you to utilize.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's really helpful advice. I think that I I get really overwhelmed and it's very easy for me to like get stuck in the weeds of the book. Um, So that's, that's useful to know, to kind of like let go of it a little bit but I really appreciate it. Thanks again for hopping on here and then helping me work through that. It really helped me. Yeah, of course. Anytime. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been another episode of study with Steph. As always, you can listen on Spotify. You can watch the video version on YouTube or on rave pubs and pretty much anywhere else you get podcasts. Uh, and I will see you next time. Bye. Study with Steph.